This podcast is only for the attention of professional investors in the financial industry. Outer Blue by Amundi. Welcome to Outer Blue Talks Research, knowledge sharing on financial research. Welcome to the Samundi Research Podcast, where we take an in-depth look at macro and market themes. I'm Swaha Patanaik, Head of Publishing, and this month I'll be talking with Alessia Berardi, the Head of Emerging Macro Strategy at the Amundi Institute. Alessia, it's great to have you with us. Hi, Swaha. Thank you for having me and uh, thank you for connecting. Great. So the outlook for developed economies is looking a bit fragile at the moment. And your colleagues at the Institute, Alessia, are expecting a slowdown in the second half of the year that could see the US tip into a shallow recession, possibly. Emerging economies as a group, however, seem to be in better shape. Could you outline what you're expecting on the growth front for EM? Uh Thank you for your question, Swaha. Let's start from where we are coming from. The uh, 2022 uh, emerging markets growth uh, has been uh, uh, in a quite poor conditions in uh, uh, consideration of the fact that China has been growing very poorly and that has taken the growth premium uh, more in favor of developed markets. Since China reopened last year, end of last year, this uh, uh, growth premium has uh, uh, definitely moved more in favor of emerging markets. Uh, but this is not only driven by uh, China. There has been some uh, resilience. There is some resilience across emerging markets, in particular emerging markets uh, with a higher policy room and ability to support growth uh, through the fiscal lever, for example. That's really interesting. So this widening growth advantage in favour of emerging economies, do valuations in market already reflect what you're seeing? It really depends on which asset class we are looking uh, uh, within the emerging markets uh, universe. Uh, the, uh, on the equity side, uh, the valuations are clearly uh, uh, favoring uh, uh, regions like uh, Latin America or uh, um, Eastern Europe uh, because Asian markets on the equity side, in comparison with the other two regions, they look more uh, uh, fairly valued. If we move to the uh, fixed income um, side instead, uh, again, um, the um, local debt that apparently in the very short term looks like uh, uh, fairly valued because of uh, how much the uh, yields have been declining in uh, certain countries in emerging markets, it returns to be interesting if we move to a medium term horizon, six months, 12 months at the time when uh, central banks emerging markets are expected to cut uh, to cut rates that's really interesting you you bring up central banks here so policymakers in many of these emerging economies were far quicker off the mark in raising interest rates when we had that huge upsurge in inflation during the pandemic and the year that followed the West, by contrast, I think even major central banks in the West, like the ECB, the Fed, the Bank of England, will admit they were behind the curve in responding. So do you think that the emerging economies, central banks, can, as you say, go one step ahead of the West when it comes to easing? And what are the difficulties or challenges they may face if they do that? 
this is this has been our call uh, since a while. So uh, regardless, the Federal Reserve uh, uh, cutting the rates uh, uh, over 2023, uh, we have been and we still have uh, the same expectations of having some emerging market central banks to move earlier than the Federal Reserve. And this is, as you said very well, um, specular uh, to what has been happening uh, uh, in 2021, for example, when when uh, Central Bank of Brazil, Central Bank of Russia, and few other central banks started to hike the rates uh, in order to tame the uh, inflation uh, resurgence. So the answer in, uh, in short term is uh, yes, because these central banks are very much focused on what is happening uh, uh, on, the domestic, uh, on the domestic side. And in particular, inflation in emerging markets has been declining even more than what we were expecting uh, at headline level, but even at core level, uh, although more gradually and not uniformly distributed, in any case, inflation is declining. That doesn't mean that Federal Reserve and what the Federal Reserve does is not relevant. This is relevant, but in this cycle, in the icon, in the ICON cycle and in the next easing cycle, we do expect domestic drivers uh, uh, be on the driving seat. I see. So could you just explain to us how you see the Fed and by extrapolation, the dollar feeding into your broader emerging market uh, sort of perspectives and outlook? Sure. Uh Normally, we do rank uh, uh, emerging markets according to uh, um, external vulnerabilities, and this is when uh, the dollars and the uh, Federal Reserve's action, so the global financial conditions, are relevant for emerging markets. The picture is very, very heterogeneous. So we do have countries uh, across the emerging markets that are uh, very safe on the external side, and we do have countries uh, that are much less in general, it's important to, in any case, notice that we are far away from uh, um, a, a, an environment like the one in 2013 where we were talking about fragile uh, fives. Today, we have uh, less uh, fragile countries, uh, at least regarding the uh, emerging markets, core countries. Clearly, I'm not talking about more distressed situation and more vulnerable countries that are more in the frontier uh, 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 universe. Thank you. And let me sort of ask you to drill into that a little bit deeper. Can you give us some ideas of which countries are going to be most exposed to the slowdown in the West or the vulnerabilities that you mentioned and which are looking like the most resilient at the moment? Sure. The um, it's I mean, it's very difficult and challenging to find uh, uh, one country ticking all the boxes. Uh, so, uh, as I said, I mean, the emerging markets universe is, uh, uh, is very heterogeneous. And actually, uh, to, to make an example, uh, we were uh, uh, quite surprised to see uh, some resilience in an economy like uh, Mexico, uh, that normally when you think about uh, uh, the U.S. cycle decelerating, uh, across the emerging markets, you immediately think about Mexico as one uh, of the most negatively impacted by the US economy decelerating. 
in this sense, it's important to look at even other pillars. I was uh, mentioning before the policy, the policy room, the, uh, the, the, US, the, the Mexican economy resilience uh, so far has been driven by uh, um, quite uh, important uh, support coming from the fiscal side, at least in this uh, first part of the year. The resilience comes from uh, increase in, in, in wages and then a very strong consumption, uh, consumption cycle. Uh, that is uh, taking uh, Mexico in a, in a, in a, in on a path of the coupling, at least in the short term, uh, from the U.S. Uh, from the U.S. economy. Uh, there, there is still some dependence on the U.S. economy, but in any case, there are even domestic factors keeping the economy resilient. Other uh, important factor, as we said, looking at the policy room again, uh, there are countries across the emerging markets enjoying uh, a quite interesting policy room and ready to move towards an easing cycle and supporting their economic uh, um, trend. And these are mainly countries... <coughs> again in the Latin American region, so where we have very fat real rates and central banks are probably there, are probably the ones starting the easing cycle sooner than later in comparison with other uh, countries in, in the region. Then another important factor is the exposure, expo export exposure. Uh, some countries uh, are quite well uh, uh, balanced in terms of export exposures between uh, the US, China and Europe. Some other countries instead are uh, more uh, linked to, uh, uh, to US or to uh, China and indeed suffering most more according to the cycle in these uh, external economies. Right. You mentioned China and we talked earlier about the Chinese reopening. Um, how are things looking in China at the moment? We had um, a quite uh, uh, weak string of numbers out of China for uh, uh, April. Uh, we have always been in the camp of thinking that uh, the, US, the Chinese economy, um, the best of the Chinese economy happened in the Q1 uh, 2023 and the recovery moving forward would have been moderated. April figures uh, have been uh, confirming uh, the idea that uh, we are still in a recovery path, but the recovery is uh, not uh, in a kind of V-shape or uh, robust uh, trend. Uh, now, the risk that we are monitoring at this point is really focused or related to the housing sector. As I said, data uh, related to April, but even daily data related to the housing sales are uh, um, coming out uh, on, a on a kind of uh, a weak trend. And uh, uh, although this is consistent with our long-term idea that the real estate sector in China will not be uh, the driver of growth as it was in the past years, uh, notwithstanding that the daily data are showing more weakness than what we were anticipating. These data are, as, as I said, still consistent with a moderated recovery, but it's something that we are really monitoring in order to assess uh, uh, even how our forecasts for the US economy are holding. Thank you. That's really interesting. You mentioned earlier about countries that had policy room, uh, wiggle room, if you like. I mean, is China 
amongst the countries that you see having that policy room because they have a 5% growth target for this year. And I think even if growth isn't as great as you originally expected, we should manage to hit those or even exceed that. So do you see them stepping in and do they have room to if they need to? Yes, uh, we do think that uh, China has policy room. Uh, the, we, we, we saw that even uh, last year when uh, the growth conditions were pretty poor, um, China refrained themselves to uh, uh, support, to use the same kind of support that uh, um, the authorities were uh, um, used to uh, implement in the past. Um, so it's not a matter of ability to step in, it's more a matter of willingness to do it. Uh, the authorities have been told us many times that even starting with the Common Prosperity Agenda, they, they, are, they are on the path of diffusing their, uh, uh, their risk, the financial risk, they want to deleverage the economy. Uh, this is the reason why they are going uh, ahead with their uh, agenda. Uh, and this is the reason why uh, I do think that although they have uh, the ability to step in on the fiscal side, more on the fiscal side, uh, and even more on the monetary policy side, uh, we shouldn't be too much complacent uh, versus, with the idea that they are going to do it uh, in a very in a very short term. Uh, the tolerance uh, uh, towards uh, uh, weaker growth figures is uh, probably higher than what many investors can uh, can think. Great, that's really interesting, Alessia. Um, let me turn to India, which has recently overtaken China in terms of the population, definitely not in terms of the size of the economy. But um, what's your outlook for India? And perhaps we could take something of a longer term view here, because some of the issues like demographics and things which give India an edge will take time to play out. India has been uh, enjoying a uh uh, an incredibly robust economic trend since the reopening. The economy has been growing at 9% and 7.5% in the latest couple of years. This is, uh, uh, these are very, uh, uh, very good numbers uh, considering uh, uh, how much the rest of the world is, uh, is, uh, is growing. Now, uh, we do expect that India will decelerate this year, uh, but that doesn't mean that the economy will be uh, weak. We, are expect, we expect the India will uh, reach uh, uh, its uh, potential gro growth rate that is around 5.5%. Uh, however, the Indian economy is in a very good position, is in a very good position for different reasons. Uh, India can enjoy from uh, its advanced uh, uh, conditions in terms of uh, uh, digitalization. Uh, India can enjoy uh, even uh, in terms of uh, relative relative uh, insulation uh, from all these geopolitical uh, uh, risks that are so present and so important across the world. Um, India has finally the ability to uh, kick off a very good and very robust investment cycle. Corporates uh, have been deleveraging and indeed even the uh, non-performing loan positions uh, in the banking sector has uh, improved uh, considerably. So the country is ready to, uh, um, to kick off uh, uh, the investment cycle that is missing uh, since uh, 
since a while. So the perspective, uh, uh, not only in the short term, even more on the medium term for the countries are uh, are, are quite uh, are quite positive. And indeed, in our uh, let's say long-term uh, uh, capital markets assumption, India is one of the, of the country uh, where uh, um, when you think about a frontier, efficient frontier, where uh, in order to get uh, more return, you have even to take more risk because growth is expected to be globally uh, lower than what has been in the past, more sustainable, but probably lower than what it was in the past. In an ideal frontier, uh, frontier efficient frontier and asset allocation, you should allocate more space to emerging markets. And India and even China stand out as a, a good opportunity uh, in terms of asset allocation to the emerging markets. That's a really important point, as you say. Um, but just touching on the long term for India, I mean, you're talking about the sh- uh, sort of immediate growth prospects looking like we'll hit the potential growth rate in India. What are some of the obstacles perhaps that Indian policymakers need to get their heads around to make sure India fulfills its long term growth potential? Clearly, uh, is not a smooth path uh, ahead, and we know that um, the Indian India um, enjoys um, a quite relevant demographics uh, uh, driver. Uh, but having said that, uh, even to think about uh, uh, to accommodate this uh, uh, young population getting every year into the labor market uh, is. Uh, challenging. So you need growth, you need investments in order to accommodate these uh, uh, young people uh, getting every year uh, into the labor markets. And this is uh, on one side uh, a dividend, but on one on the other side can be even uh, a challenge if you are not able to, uh, uh, to pursue this kind of uh, growth rate that you need. Uh, and to do that, you need even political stability and reforms. Uh, India needs still to go through uh, important big reforms, even though, to be honest, micro reforms have been ongoing even during the pandemic. Uh, but in order to uh, um, deploy the potential of the country, the big reforms, the, the, the land reform, the agriculture, the rural reform are quite important items and they need political stability and the strong uh, um, political willingness to pursue this kind of, of, of reforms. Now we will going to see to we'll, we'll, India is going to have uh, uh, elections, you know, general elections next year. Uh, the expectations are for a continuity in terms of uh, uh, in terms of politics. Um, we are monitoring this elections at state level, uh, but as we know, uh, uh, the, the general elections are normally not the sum of what happens at state level. The, the dynamics and the factors driving the two different uh, ballots are. Uh, are, are not exactly the same. So even if we have seen uh, the latest polls uh, in favor of the Congress for important states like Karnakata, that doesn't mean that at a general at, at, at country level next general election uh, will have the same kind of uh, uh, results or outcome. Alessia, unfortunately, we've run out of time rather quickly, but let me thank you for taking the time to come onto the podcast and for sharing your insights into EM. Thank you very much, Swaha, and thank you to all. 
And as Alessia says, thanks to all of you for taking the time to listen to us today. We hope you'll join us again soon. This podcast is only for the attention of professional investors, as defined in Directive 2004-39-EC, dated 21st of April 2004, on markets and financial instruments called MIFID, investment services providers, and any other professional of the financial industry. Views are subject to change and should not be relied upon as investment advice on behalf of Amundi.